0: Hey folks, Scotty Keo here. Now, a wise man told me once, if you're gonna take advice off someone, just make sure he does it for a living. Cause if he gets it wrong, it affects his table. Now when it comes to feeding horses, I feed Riverina products. They've assembled this product with not only the best team of nutritionists available, but also collaborating with some of Australia's most prolific horsemen who have shown more horses and won more blue ribbons than anyone. So if you want to do the best thing by your horse, trust the professionals and use Riverina.
1: You're listening to the Swapping Lies podcast with Scotty Keogh. If you want to take your horsemanship to the next level with downloadable videos, equipment, merch and DVDs with proven results, visit skhorsemanship.com and find out why they sell in nine countries with Scott's clear, understandable methods with no gimmicks, just authentic horsemanship that will make your next ride a better one. You're listening to the Swapping Lies podcast with Scotty Keogh.
0: Hey folks, Scotty Keogh here, swapping lies. Today I get to do my favourite thing, and that is talk to great Australian horsemen. And on the subject of great Aussie horsemen, it'd be hard to have a conversation without mentioning this guy. Two trips to the Olympics, uh, more Australian titles than I can count. Quite simply, in the show jumping world, they call him the master. But he is much, much more than that as a horseman. Today we have the legend, John Fay. How you going, John?
2: Very well, thank you, Scotty.
0: Oh, great, mate. I'm, uh, I've am i been really looking forward to this interview. A good friend of mine, Adam Newman, put me on to you. And I'd heard your name in various circles, although I know very, very little about the show jumping world, which um, I'm keen to learn a whole lot more. Um, tell me, John, how old are you, mate? Uh, I'm 80. 80, a young 82. And, um, mate, what do you do with yourself at the moment these days? Uh,
2: well, I, when I was competing, I. Um, I knew when my horses were sore. And I had my first horse chiropractor in 1973. He had a fall; he couldn't jump two foot. I had him fixed, I campaigned him, and I took him to England in 1975 and campaigned him and sold him. So I was a believer in horse muscle work and chiropractic work. So I've been doing that for over 30 years. Yep. And uh, I do a few stables up on the sunny coast and a lot of pleasure horses around Caboolture and that Western pleasure horses and that. And it just gives me something to do, and I really enjoy it. I've got yeah. a pretty good name. Doing the job correct, so people like
0: me, yeah. Oh, terrific! What a good way to stay involved. Um, so, mate, let's let's start at the start. The John Fay story. Um, I believe your dad was was quite the hand, but tell me how you got to be riding a pony to start with.
2: Well, my dad was a wheeler dealer. Uh, he used to buy cattle and anything that he could make a bob out of, and we'd get a mob together and. Uh, we was at Upper Lansdown, which is eighteen miles to Wingham Sale Yards, and we'd get about you know fifteen, twenty head together, and we'd drive them to the sails every month. And I was his right hand man from probably about five year old onwards, uh, and that was what I learned to to ride to help and dad. And then we had a property over on the Ellenborough River, and we used to go over there and muster cattle, and it was very steep country, and you used to have to swim across the swollen rivers and all that sort of thing. So I started off at a really early age with a with the best background and probably the best horseman around was my dad. He was a great uh, a rider, novelty rider, flag and bend and race rider, and rode in uh, picnic races. He was an all-round horseman, and he was a top. He was a bush vet. Anybody had something wrong with a horse or a cow, they say, "Oh, call Tommy, he'll fix it." Uh, that was a bit of my background how I started, and uh, like I used to ride to school, probably. One of the best horses ever had, Valentine, and I used to ride him to school. I used to get into trouble organising a race every week and, and handicap the other four or five riders that rode to the school and got into trouble with the headmaster a few times, but, yeah. Bit of pocket but, uh, money, uh, no, though, it
0: mate. A, I don't, a bit of pocket money, though, from the racing. <laughs> yeah,
2: pocket money, that's right, mate, yeah. yeah uh, so that was my early background, and, uh, yeah, and I was, always wanted to do show jumping. I won my first show jumping event at Grafton Show when I was eight years old. And uh Dad rode round the ring Huntsville, There was not much show jumping then, but he had a good eye. He could put me on a horse and he could tell me what I was doing wrong. He was a very good very good judge and uh, was a very good shooter made made me I got so much admiration for my father I wouldn't be here today without his knowledge
0: and my, where, where did he get it from?
2: well, uh he had two brothers were really good horsemen uh, and uh I think the Fay family come out from Ireland. There's Fay's at, at uh, Copperhurst, Earl Fay. He won he won the Gloucester Cup at Sydney Royal. The Fay family just seemed to have the, something ability to do with horses. All dads, cousins and all that always had something to do with horses, so I think it must have been the breed.
0: Yeah, and look, were they guys that could hook horses up in a team and things like that?
2: Yeah, yes, do all that sort of thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. I think there's so much in that and so much lost in that from the – from the teams today. So I even remember in the Bart Cummings book, he talked about his father could work a team better than anyone else.
2: Yes, yeah. Well, I remember Dad, he always, he, he, I don't know about a team, but he always had a pair of draft horses. He always did the play on and all that with, he always had a pair of draft horses. And and, uh, and I, I remember as a kid, when we'd, we'd sow a paddock, and uh, he had harrow and I'd ride one of the old draft horses dragging the, ho- dragging the roller to roll the seeds in. I remember
0: that clearly. Yeah, right. What a what a great foundation really. And and on the subject of like a lot of people say, my dad was a brilliant horseman or my grandpa was a great horseman, could your dad like change leads on a horse? Could did he know uh diagonals? Did, was he was he educated on that side of things as well?
2: Um Well, no, not really. Uh but he was a natural horseman. I think, you know, the way he uh the way he trained his horses to camp draft and, and flag and bend and race his horse, he was just a natural horseman. He knew, he knew, he knew. He always, he, you'd never seen him with that uh, going on a horse unless he had spurs on his boots. Yeah, right. He always wore spurs and he always made them do what he wanted them to do. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of things, you know, he, he, he used a spur and he could use legs, leg to hand and he was very very soft with his hands and I think, you know, horses just went for him.
0: Oh, great. And, a long-rein man when it come to breaking in horses?
2: Yes, a lot of long rain. He taught me all that too. I broke in hundreds of horses, but Dad always taught me you, you drive them for three to four days and then they're ready to ride. Yep. Uh, taught me how to long rain horses right from a very early age. I was breaking horses in when I was 13, 14-year-old.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, terrific. So how long did you last at school then, John?
2: <laughs> I uh, <clears throat> come to my birthday, I was 14 just on 14-year-old, and I went up to the headmaster, and I said, I want to leave school, boss. And he said, oh, you got a job? I said, yeah. He said, it'd be to be with horses. I said, oh, yeah, on the farm as well. Oh, yeah, well, he said, I'll have to think about it, but he said, if you leave school, he said, of one condition, if you break your leg in 12 months, you've got to come back. Well, I was out of there like a flash.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, so by the time you're around that 13, 14, 15 year old mark, were you a regular in the pony club events and, and the show events? Were you? Uh,
2: no, not much so in the pony club. Yeah. Um, yeah, I supplied three horses, I think, for the teams, pony club teams event in Sydney one year. Uh, but yeah, but dad, we used to travel the shows from Newcastle to Grafton every year, all the local shows up the coast. and – the rodeos always started in the spring, so it was, you know, it was always shows and rodeos from, from my very early age.
0: Mate, the travel would have been pretty slow, wouldn't it, John?
2: The, tr- uh, well, the trucks I and the way started, of getting uh, there? Before I started to travel with Dad, he used to put them uh, travel on the north coast on the train. Yep. And then he was the first bloke in the area to, to build a, uh, a double horse float. And my dad was a bit of a wheeler dealer. He had the first he and the first TV and the first <laughs> tractory and first of everything. And uh, he was a hard worker. And, um, yeah, so uh, then later on we advanced from two Australas to trucks and, yeah, so it just just grew and grew and grew.
0: Yeah, right. So now somewhere in there you met the Europeans, the likes of the Franz Moringas and that. W- what age was that when you met those uh, Europeans?
2: Well, I got selected uh, in 1964 to go to Tokyo at Sydney Royal on Bond Vale. I think I jumped six foot six or something in the Pearsons, run second, jumped five foot nine in the six bar, run third and won the Australian Championships the next day. So you could say he was an all-round horse. And when they select the team and put it together, we went to Barrow to train under Franz Maringer and Carl Jurack. Well I was I was uh, I wasn't twenty one, I was twenty at the time.
0: Okay, and, and what did they open your eyes to or was it was it a uh, a massive um, difference or what, what like it must have been a huge thing to even meet those blokes and then ride under them?
2: Yeah, it was it was a it was very very good experience and 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 like dad taught me a lot but he didn't ta- didn't teach me the finer things of the Europeans and how they rode and, you know I had a different bon was a very he wasn't a difficult horse to ride but he was a horse you couldn't uh, you couldn't you just can't him round over jump slow. he was just wanted to attack him and and when the, they tried to do cavaletti works with him but he just wanted to jump the whole lot but anyway, I spent a lot of time with Carl Juranak and we lunched him and did a lot of groundwork, a lot of flat work on him. And, uh, yeah, I was very, very good friends with Carl Juranak right up to later years.
0: Yeah, right, eh? Um So we've probably skipped a few years here. Um, likes of Bonvale, that was a horse that wasn't quite 15 hands that somehow ends up at the Tokyo Olympics. How in the hell did you find that horse and what made you think a little horse like that could be worth putting the time into?
2: Well, Dad found him for Dad had, a, a, had a, a very close friend of him, Arthur Carroll, and Dad used to, at had, had a stallion, they used to go round in the spring and serve the mares, and Dad used to do the castration, the gelding, and Arthur Carroll had this horse, Bonvale. And Bonvale was by Alan Vale, and a board thoroughbred horse from England, and out of Bonnie, who was the station mare. And Arthur used to ride him to the local shows, and, uh, and then get somebody to ride him and put him in the hunts and nine times out of the ten the bloke could ride him in the hunt and be drunk and sort of drove the horse a fairly, drove him crazy but he knew he could jump and when Arthur died he left in his will that, that Dad had first chance to buy the horse and Dad gave 550 pounds for him in about 1957 I think, what, like 57 or 58?
0: Gee, so that was a stack of money, mate?
2: That was a fair bit of money back then, yes.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and the size didn't bother you? You thought.
2: No, uh, well, we'd had, him, we'd had him a little while and uh, we, would, we would tried to calm him with feed, um, boiled barley and all the, all the soft feed, you could think of. Well, that didn't work, and my anyway, dad got sick of that. He said, Oh, I've had enough of this. He said, I'm going to put him on the same feed if I do my camp grass my flag race and men races. He goes on oats and corn. And as soon as we got him on the oats and corn and got him stronger, he was a lot better horse. And we went to Taree's show. I was only 15 and Dad uh, said so we put him in the high jump and um, I won the high jump and jumped seven foot two and oh, I, was, I was only 15 at the time and we didn't even have a show jump and saddle then. We rode an exercise pad.
0: Jesus. And so during these years, mate, like this is your pre-Olympic times, were you entering the camp draft as well at the local shows?
2: Oh, everything. Everything. We, we didn't, we, everything. I had Valentine. Valentine, I said, was probably the best horse I put a bridle on, but, but Bonvale made me a, 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 you know, he made me name internationally as well. But Valentine won Station Pony in Sydney 11 times, and I forgot that I'd, I'd won it on him the first time. And he had to be ridden by a boy or girl under 16. He won that 11 years running. He won uh, Polo Cross Pony, a reserve champion pony hack. Uh, he won polo cross pony and he won the world championship campdraft four times.
0: Holy hell!
2: That... The only rider ever in Sydney to win champion gentleman rider, champion show jumping rider, and the world championship campdraft at the one show.
0: Yeah, that's unreal. Like that's that's unthinkable now, isn't it? You know, for for a... oh
2: well, yeah, yeah. will see when I was on, when I went on the road in 1966 to Cairns and back to Victoria. Uh, I had Valentine and Bonvale, and Valentine went in everything was on the program, and Bonvale was a show jumper. And at the end of the run, they'd both won 550 pounds each. That was a fair bit of money those days. And I, I came home 50 quid a week clear in my pocket, and wages was 40.
0: Yeah, I bet you thought, well, this is this beats ram and postales back on the farm.
2: <laughs> Mate, you're not wrong. There. So, <laughs> so I did that three years in a row to Cairns for like. Um, 66, 67 and 68 and 68, we went to Mexico Olympic Games.
0: Yeah, right. And I, I guess it was a time and an era like, I mean, the Kevin Bacons and the Johnny Kellys, you just entered everything on the on the card and I hope to finish the day with the maximum amount of dollars in your pocket.
2: That's right, exactly, yeah. Well, well Johnny Kelly was an all-around horseman. Uh, he, he won Gentleman Rider. He competed in the cab draft and he show jumped, but he never he never won the draft or the sh- or the show jumping. Uh, Bacon was a bit of an all-rounder. He had a good horse called Bobby Bruce. He could flag race and bend and race, and he'd done a little bit of camp drafting up in North Queensland, but he didn't do much down in the down on the north coast with the hunter. But yeah, he was he was pretty capable, of Kevin Bacon, and Kelly was my one of my best mates and I, I just admired him. we were we were great mates.
0: Yeah, right. I know the Kelly family very well. Like uh, for those of you probably wondering, yes, it's the Kelly family from Upper Horton, the same family that uh, pick up and ride Bronx and been the backbone of uh, the old Upper Horton Valley there for a long time, the Kelly family.
2: Yeah, 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 Scott, yeah, there. they bred them tough there. Bred uh, them tough, Bill that's right. You,
0: you know, there, there is no Bathurst Burr left in that valley since I did my school holidays with Bill Kelly. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that'd be
0: right. <laughs> but, um, okay, now somewhere in there, I, I know you you's always rode many, many events. Did the penny drop that... Show jumping is an Olympic sport and I need to channel my energy there more?
2: Yeah, yes, yeah, of course, yeah. Well, I, I went to Sydney Royal when I was 15 and I won two competitions. Uh, the, the next year they said you had to be se- um, 17 and over, so I rode ponies and I rode five ponies. And then we get to the Brisbane Royal Show in August and uh, you can only ride two two rides, two rides only. And uh, so I made the rules for those shows. And um, the first competition at Brisbane Royal, Kevin Bacon rode three. And Peter Taylor, a friend of mine, had a horse called Pacific, and he jumped clean and I jumped clean. And they wanted me to go out for the jump off because I was first to go. I said, No, go and ask the judges to read the rule book. Anyway, after a couple of goes and throws, they come back out and they put three horses' names in the hat. And they said to Kevin, The one you the one you draw out first the one you're not riding, it was Ted Dwyer's with Ocean Farm. I think didn't that stir things up a bit. But anyway, it got all sorted. And we're great friends with Ted Dwyer for years and years after that.
0: Yeah, right. Did you have a favourite show in Australia, mate?
2: Oh, mate, Sydney Royal Showground, that, the old showground, was the best show in the world. Is that right? Had a good feel, did it? Oh, mate, the, the atmosphere there on a good Friday the pat you wouldn't be able to get a seat in the stand when the fusins was on, you know, horses cantering down to the wall to jump, you know, over six foot, it we could hear a penny drop. It was just unbelievable. This is what people said to me, what did it feel like riding the Tokyo was the last game that they had a question fence in the main stadium. And somebody said, What did it feel like riding into the main stadium? I said, No different like no different to riding into Sydney, Royal on Easter Friday or Easter Saturday.
0: Exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, right. I never rode in that old arena. I only ever rode in the new one. Um, no, new one,
2: I think no atmosphere in the new one. Don't like it at all. I competed there two or three years, but no, I don't like it.
1: You're listening to the and Lies podcast with Scotty Keough.
0: Now, tell me your selection in the Olympic Games. That must have been a hell of a thing. Your first ever Olympics.
2: Oh mate, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I I I you know, when I started to get Bon going and, and you know, winning Grand Prix and, and doing that and I said, Well this is this is my aim. I wanna I wanna try and make the Olympic team. And uh, yeah, so it it all panned out and uh, to win the Australian title at the old showground in Sydney and being number one selection, it was it was just an unbelievable feeling.
0: So that was your selection, mate, by winning that there that that got you over the line into the team?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that got me over line, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so what I can't work out, so Tokyo Olympics, what were they, 1964?
2: 1964,
0: yeah. How the hell did they correspond and organise, like, the horses on boats and where you were staying and amount of feed when communication was so limited?
2: Yeah, well, the Question Federation had it all under control pretty well. Like, we did training at Barrel. We did training at Canberra. We trained at... Uh, Albion Park Racecourse in Brisbane for six weeks before we got on the boat and sailed to Tokyo. Uh, we had a, a, a sand roll on the top deck and we used to lunge our horses twice a day to keep a bit of muscle on them. It was only a 10-day trip from Brisbane to Tokyo, which wasn't too bad. But after Tokyo, the longest trip was from Tokyo to London, which was six weeks Mm. Six weeks at sea up through the Panama Cal and we had matting on the, around the deck and we used to walk our horses twice a day or once a day and, and kept them fit and kept us fit too. And, um, yeah, that was a long trip. And when we got to England, it was six week, six months over there for quarantine but we just competed at all the shows and competed all around England, went to uh, Dublin. I won my first international jumping competition in Dublin in 1965. Uh, that was a great experience, um, traveling all the shows and meeting all the old top riders, some of them, some still competing and some retired. I used to go and talk to them all the time and try and learn and get as much information as I could. Some of the other fellows would be at the bar, but no, I was, I was chatting to the old blokes trying to learn as much as I could.
0: Great stuff. And, mate, how were you surviving financially? Like, what kept you going? Was was the prize money enough well, to the, keep you going?
2: The, the, the question: Federation paid all the expenses, and uh, and and you know I had I had a really good run, uh, prize money wise, and I got I got a share of the prize money, and that, that kept us going. I think they gave us some allowances, so much a week anyway. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was it was just experience, and the the experience was was unbelievable. And you know the what you know what I what I learned on that trip was was just you know you couldn't imagine how much I'd learned on that trip.
0: Right. So what, what, was, what was the best thing about the Olympics?
2: Oh, that's a hard one. The best thing, oh, well, the, when I went to Tokyo, I think, walking in the main sta- main stadium for the opening ceremony with the Australian colours on Australian blazer, that was a pinnacle. And the, the, whoever was opening the, opening the Olympic Games said, it's an honour to be here to represent your country and not necessarily win but do your best or some, something to like that saying, and that, that made the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Yeah,
0: right. And yeah, it was did, did you have any background on your oppositions? I mean, like, did you even know the team from Chile or the team from Canada? I mean, who uh, were the no, no,
2: no idea. No idea. No, didn't have any idea we had... We had separate training grounds and uh, most of them were sand arenas, but there was one grass around and we had to float our horses out about 20 Ks, I think, to this grass arena. We went out there one day and the Argentinians were jumping, mate, mate, we're jumping, you know, five foot by five foot by six foot, these big oxes just galloping them down. And Barry Royce said, How do you think we can't beat, we can't ride against them, blokes, we can't beat them? I said, Don't worry about it. On the day, it's completely different. And that was the way. That was my attitude. Don't worry about what the other fellas do, and just concentrate on your own thing. What you've been doing for the last few years, and don't if yeah, you yeah. keep your mind focused.
0: Yeah, right. And so, of those four horses on your team, would any of them been purposely bred for show jumping?
2: Um, Bud McIntyre Coronation. He was yeah. Uh, Franz Moringa trained him. He was sort of dressage in show jumping. Uh, I'm not sure about, uh, well, Kevin Bacon's Ocean Farm. He was, he, was, he was always a show jumper from very early on. And Bonvale in the reserve was Barry Roycroft Genoey. I'm not sure about how he was bred. I think he was a far thoroughbred.
0: And so, like, were the Germans or the Europeans, were they, like, horsed up? Like, did they have genetics back then for jumping? Uh,
2: well, they, they did. They were breeding warm bloods. But when Laurie Morgan and Bill Roycroft went over to the uh, Rome Olympics in 60, in the 1960, they could see how how the little Australian thoroughbred, stock horse-bred horses were so fast and so neat and so clever. Their, their warm bloods were a lot heavier and clumpier, uh, but they had changed their breeding so much. They so got more thoroughbred into them on mares and stallion sides and the genetics today on the breeding is just unbelievable, and the horses that are jumping in Europe today—they're just absolutely fantastic.
0: It's unbelievable. I, not that I follow it much, but in the bucking bull game, they buck out these yearling calves now, John. Phenomenal. Whether it's the heifers or the bulls that they're testing out, it is straight genetics, and it is unbelievable.
2: Well, that's right. Yeah, I, I watch a bit of fair bit of you know bull riding on that happens in America, and they're all bred. They're, they're breeding them so much these days. Every
0: one of them. They're breeding everything except bull riders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so after that um, trip in the UK, what come next? Because you came home after a successful stint in England. What come next after that?
2: Well, I just, um, yeah, I, I travelled the shows. Um, I got back in. Got back the end of '65, uh, late '65. I got back, and then '66 I went on the road. And Dad, I had an old Bedford truck, and they should never be driven out of the 60k zone, carrying and pulling an old caravan. And Dad said to me, "When you drive out the gate, you're on your own. Don't ask for any help." <laughs> so I left in I left in the end of January and got back then to November, and. Uh, that was, I said, I would come home fifty quid a week clear. So that was a that was a start. That was a start. So that's all I've done all my life. is travel shows. I had uh, travelled all the shows right through from Cairns to to Victoria three times, and then and in the 80s the show jumping got that good over in Perth. There was a lot of money over in Perth. So I had 17 trips across the Nullarbor. So that was a big thing it, <clears throat> over there with the uh, Bond Brewing and um uh, Alan Bond and Laurie Connell put up a lot of money for show jump and I won $28, in two and a half months so I just kept every day for about five or six years and the money was there and the fuel was cheap and you know it was just it was just a phenomenal thing and there was direct ABC did direct television broadcast and I had me sponsor Tony Barlow Memswear, which I got a, got, um, got him on side in 1980 81. So uh, yeah, so it was just a you know, just something i just that's just something I did that was my part of my life. Just go out and ride and compete.
0: They must have enjoyed a great wave there in WA because I know I go there now and those uh, grounds there, is it called Brigadoon, I think it's called.
2: They're yeah, Brigadoon. They're
0: yes. run down. Like they've had their glory days.
2: Oh mate, that was the most that was they had the the indoor centre was one of the best indoor centres in Australia. And the outdoor arena, I used to run the Bond Derby there. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they tell me it's just fell apart.
0: Yeah. So uh, tell me about your first trip across the Nullarbor because I think people just think these things just happen. Like, I mean, I'm sure you didn't purr along at 100 k an hour with the AC on. No.
2: I, I, I built my first gooseneck trailer and I was doing a deal with Volvo for a prime mover Uh Anyway, uh, that deal ended up falling through, and I had nothing to tow this trailer with, and I had an old comma truck with a Perkins motor in it. So anyway, I, it was slow. I'm telling you, it was slow. Anyway, I hooked up, and I put a big 44-gallon drum on the back of it for fuel, and and I used to drive, <clears throat> set off at, at the daylight and stop at dark. Didn't have a clue where I was going, Anyway, I got into Western Australia on the seventh day, and old Grey also had manned him up. He stood at the bottom of the tailboard and shook his head and said, I don't want to really get on this anymore. <laughs> it was the slowest trip we have ever had in my life. <laughs> anyway, I said, I can't, I'm not driving this back. I went and seen Laurie Connell and borrowed 10 grand off him and bought another prime move that had a bit of go about it. So that was my first trip, I tell you. That was some experience. <laughs>
0: That's that's a whole other thing that my generation won't understand is the travelling in your era. Now, I know you're very well known with the Showman's Guild, so you'll know who I'm talking about. Justin Gill told me that they were broke down in the Territory somewhere once when he was 13. Now, Justin's older than me, so we're we're talking, oh, no, 45 years ago. He said he was 13-year-old driving a semi that was pulling a broke semi that was pulling a car. Yeah. And he was thirteen years old That'd be right <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean we we can all afford a decent car these days and and you know not too many times you stand beside the road <laughs> scratching your head wondering what's wrong yeah
2: no I've got great friends with the showies and uh and uh I remember the showman's Guild, and great friends with happy Gill and Peter and all the gill boys yeah um Yes, yeah, no, the,
0: they, man, those guys man, could man. write a book on just the travelling to the rodeos. Not even the rodeos. Yeah, yeah, the travel. So I mean, you've been there, you've done it across the Nullarbor. What, averaging thirty-five mile an hour, fifty mile an hour? Yeah.
2: That was the first time. Yeah. Yeah. But when I when I got better prime movers and built another trailer and that, I used to leave Taree, go to uh, Mindora near Dubbo. Then to Broken Hill, then to Seduna uh, then to um, oh, can't think of the name. Man. Anyway, I used to do it in four four days and fifty hours driving.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good going, isn't it?
2: And I used to drive all the drive myself.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good going.
2: Yeah, I left I left Perth one year. Uh, jumped Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Left there Sunday night. Got to Southern Cross. And couldn't go no further. I had a sleep. And um, I ended up back in back near Dubbo at Mendoran um, on the Wednesday morning at 2 o'clock. I jumped in and had a sleep. I got up the next morning. And I, uh, a fellow called Bill, Bill, Billsborough taught me how to stomach-tube the horses, and I had a very good salt drench Me local vet made me. Yep. I stomach-tubed all my horses, washed my trailer, Drove another four hours down to Maitland Show on the Wednesday afternoon. Went out on the Thursday. There was three events on and I won the three of them.
0: Holy hell.
2: From one side of the country to the other in less than a week.
0: So you last rode in Perth on a Sunday and you rode in central New South Wales, coastal New South Wales on the Thursday. Yeah. Geez, that's good going, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Yeah, fairly good going.
0: Yeah. That, that's real good going, yeah. Golly. And mate, you you obviously always loved it. You must have felt at home on a showgrounds.
2: Oh yeah, of course it has. Well, I can't stop still now. I got a I got a motorhome now and I, I travel around the shows and I go to the Warwick Campcraft, the Gold Cup, I go to the Nutrien sales next month at Tamworth. I still got that gypsy in me.
0: Yeah, buddy. right. Can't breed it out. Can't get it <laughs> out. So, um, Tell me, what made you want to turn around and go back to another Olympics? Like, there, there must have been something like that. That's a big ask, isn't it, to dedicate yourself to a second one?
2: Well, yes. Well, I, I, I'd had the experience of being to England. I knew what the Olympics was all about, and uh, I, I just I just wanted to go again. And uh, I had the right horse, and he was, he was more adaptable, he was... More aged, he was, you know, he's more rideable, he was trained better and all that sort of thing. Um, but Mexico was completely different because it was the high altitude was that bad, you couldn't even run 10 metres, you'd just fall over, you couldn't breathe.
0: Was it that big a shock, uh, was it?
2: it? Oh, mate, it was shocking. It had to be there six weeks for him to climatise. Anyway, after a couple of after the six weeks, I started training Von Valen. Give him a jump. His first day he jumped and he was that fresh. He was in the sand arena and he went down on his nose. I pulled his head up and was never lame, but he was never the same. I had seven different bets. We could never find out what was wrong with him. But I knew he wasn't right. Uh, anyway, I had two fences down in the first qualifier, so I didn't qualify for the second round. But in the team's event, I had the best score in the Australian team. I jumped two, two reasonable rounds. Anyway, I still couldn't work out what was wrong with him, you know. Anyway, we flew from uh, Mexico to Washington, D.C. and then went by road to Madison Square Gardens, which was unbelievable. We jumped on the fifth floor in Madison Square Gardens. Yeah. And uh, I was fourth the first day, second the second day, and I thought, I'm going to win today. This is my class. I'm going to win today. It was a speed class. Anyway, I jumped half a dozen fences and I came down to the, Seven fence in a straight line, and when he took off, he blew his tendon. It went off like a rifle shot. Shit. And uh, that was his problem. He, he pulled a slight check ligament just behind his knee, and it was just got to the stage where it just it let go, and that's when he did his tendon. So that was. I took him to England and um, got him fired and worked him, and and uh, the vet said take him home and work him on the road for three months, which I did, trot him on the hard road for three months and took him to a show, give him one, st- jumped a clean round, didn't feel right, took the saddle and bridle off him and retired him there and then. Yeah, right. So
0: that, that was him, yeah. So, so he got to live out his days at home?
2: Yeah, yeah. Him and him and Valentine did their last days at home with Double down on the farm.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, it
2: was 19, yeah, 1972 I went to... to england with a horse called warwick i was selected to munich but that didn't happen i said to dad when i come home i don't want to see these horses i remember them now so we had them both put down
0: hey folks scotty keogh here now a wise man told me once if you're going to take advice off someone just make sure he does it for a living because if he gets it wrong it affects his table now when it comes to feeding horses i feed riverina products They've assembled this product with not only the best team of nutritionists available, but also collaborating with some of Australia's most prolific horsemen who have shown more horses and won more blue ribbons than anyone. So if you want to do the best thing by your horse, trust the professionals and use Riverina. So somewhere in there, I'm just trying to remember out of your book, were you sort of, I don't know if the word blacklisted is the word, but there was was some Olympics you weren't included in, even though... Yeah,
2: that was that was that was munich
0: that was munich okay yep
2: that was munich i was selected with two horses and and warwick was my, my top horse he, he'd won five out of seven main competitions in that um, 71 72 period i won the australian titles in newcastle in 1972 i won the hunter championships the next week and uh, a friend of mine said don't don't leave unless you got your horses, and your your contract from the Question Federation in hand. So I had the owned one horse and the other horse had leased, and I kept ringing them and asking them, could they send me the lease? Because I had a horse leased in Australia. I wanted to draw another contract up for the owners. And they said, oh, it's not finalised, not finalised. This went on from October till probably February, and I sent them a solicitor's letter. Anyway, I had it back in a week. And uh, Kevin Bacon wouldn't sign the contract either and it read that any horse that was worth over more than $10,000 where it didn't have to be much good. Uh, after all the expenses that been deducted, they wanted 25%. I thought, well, why should I give you 25%? You haven't contributed to making my horse where he is today. Yeah. So I met a friend, and I said, when you go to Melbourne, I said, plane leaves on the 15th of March. I know that. Go and book two chestnut galleys on, which he did. I said, I'll send you down the deposit, you pay them. And then same thing when the final mount sent him down the cheque, he went and paid it. They didn't have a clue whose horses they were or anything. Anyway, I arrived in Melbourne showground to have the vet inspection to go on the plane. And, uh, yeah, Mrs. Roycroft wasn't very happy because her son didn't get to Munich. I said he could have done the same thing that I'm doing. He could be on the plane if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, so I went to, went to England, campaigned. I... I... Was a leading rider at the big show Bath and West. I got presented with a saddle. I was fourth in the Olympic trial, won another class, and second in another class, and got presented with a saddle. And who's in the stand but Sir Alec Kresig, who was I think he was vice president, yeah, vice president of the question federation at the time. He was president. So I went and seen him. I said, How do you think the horse is going? He said, He's going really good, John. I said, Well, look, I said, I've won Australian championships. I've been to two Olympics. I said, would the Christian, Feder- Christian Federation be interested to in nominate me to go to Olympic? I'll pay all my own expenses. Sorry, son, eat humble pie. Oof. Uh, that was that.
0: A bit of a tough pill to swallow.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, then I went to Germany a month later and uh, a three-day show. It was fourth, the first day, third, the second day and third in the Grand Prix. Met the Australian ambassador. He said, I'll see you in Munich. I said, I wish... Anyway, he said, why? I said, oh, politics. He said, you got anything in writing? I said, yeah. Meet me at breakfast time at up our State in the, in the breakfast room. So I did, and he read it, and he said, oh, this is this is bullshit. So anyway, um, he said, I'll see what I can do for you. So he wrote to the Olympic Federation, the Question Federation, and ex- expressed my why I should be going to Munich, and I pay all my own expenses. And uh, yeah, he never even got a reply, but... Mr. Kresic, when I asked him about that, I missed that, what, I should, what he told me. He said, sorry, son, you've got to eat humble pie. Hmm. That was his answer yeah. from the Vice President of the Question Federation. <laughs> in, in, from- those days, in those days, you had to be uh, emitter. Professional wasn't allowed. So I was an emitter because I was a dairy farmer.
0: Oh, so a bit I like the boxing reel.
2: <laughs> when I come back in... Um, End of '72, well, I ran, wrote to the Question Federation and said, "No longer a, an amateur. I'm turning professional from today onwards."
0: Okay. Yeah. What that a shame. A of, yeah.
2: That gave me gave me a bit of gratitude.
0: Yeah. What a shame, though. I mean, to think, look back, and it's a bit of bloody politics that kept you out of a third Olympics.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Well, now I end up selling the horse to Tony Newbury in England. He was have said he was the best horse he ever had. And uh, over there in Europe, they have Nations Cups. You know, they might have about six to eight different countries competing, and they jump a course, and they have to jump it twice. And Warwick would have been the first horse in England to jump six clean, double clean rounds in a row, and he had the last fence down at his own show.
0: I'll be buggered. And was Warwick? Um, he was a bigger horse, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, he was a He's about sixteen two. Yeah. yeah, so he. I bought him off Johnny Mawinney. He, he talk about how you find horses. Johnny Mawinney was a great friend of mine, and he bought him out of Kimpy um, yards in the Dogger Pen for $100.
0: Holy hell, and that horse went to an Olympic Games.
2: Yeah, well, he yeah, I rode him in England anyway. Uh, <coughs> at Brisbane Royal, bloke Kenny Howes was riding him. He won two, and I run second to him. And I won two, and he ran second to me. And I said, Who owns this horse? He said, Oh, John McWinnie. So I went and seen John, and I said, Did you Sell me that horse. He said, Oh, no. He said, not, not for sale yet. He said, He might be in a couple of weeks. He said, Bring me. So I rang him, and he said, Yeah, this horse is for sale. I said, How much do you want for him? He said, Three thousand. I said, I haven't got three thousand, and he got two and a half. Yeah, right up. So I bought him, and uh, first day I rode him, I thought, jeez, this horse is only worth two and a half hundred. Didn't didn't have the front end on him, he just used to skim across the fence on the front end and kick up behind. But anyway, I I jumped low wide spreads on him to get his front end up in the air. And eventually I had him had him train him and train him and train him and got him got him that he uh he would uh, get his front end up there. But he was a fantastic jumping horse, he was just a jumper. At Maitland Show the, the week before I went to England, I jumped in the six bar. And uh, Eric Ixer was the builder, and they built them all the one height. And Bacon and I was jumping off, and he was trying to wear me out because he knew I had Warwick in the championships the next day, and the horse he's riding wasn't in it. So when he got to five six, and I wanted to split, he said, "No, we'll go again." I said, "Right, I'll go first, So five foot six. The first three wasn't too bad at five foot six, but I will tell you what, the last three took some jumping at five foot six.
0: Holy hell! that one And be fit. I
2: won. He got spat halfway down. The, on his horse, so then I went out and won the championships the next day. So, But that six bar, that was that was unbelievable. Five foot six, six of them in a row.
0: Yeah, right. And so somewhere by now, you've been to two or three Olympics, are you now breeding jumpers? Like are you trying to bring home a stud from Europe or anything like that?
2: No, no. Uh, my son Tim and Cherie, uh, they, they're breeding warm bloods. Yeah. They ride right into it. Yeah, they breed warm bloods. They, they, they know all the breed. I'm not into breeding warm bloods. I, I never had a lot of time for them. I like the, the, the thoroughbred, the first cross-quarter horses. Sorrento was an was Australian stock horse. Um, I never had many horses over 16 too. Uh So, yeah.
0: And what would be the average height of an Olympic show jumper now?
2: Oh, I think, they're not, they're not over 16, 16, 2, 17 plus hands.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. So after you'd been Olympian, did you ever go back to camp drafting?
2: Oh, yeah, I still, yeah, camp draft. I I um, I um ra- I bred two nice mares out of one of the last Master Luke mares by um, Brown's Vintage, who was by Acres Destiny. Yep. Friend of mine owned him and I bred two lovely mares. The first mare was uh, through to the Vegas Destiny and the other one through to the Radium Master Luke side. The uh, stallion was black, the mare was grey and the first one was black, the second one was grey and I brought him up here to Queensland and campaigned them, and I did my camp drafts in here in uh, oh, 11, 2011, 12 and 13 and I got sick chase and little mongrel Yak heifers that open horses wouldn't be able to handle, so I just had enough, so I took them to Grafton and sold them both. So that was I haven't sat on a horse since
0: 2013. Oh, eh? Okay, now, with the exception of your dad, who would you say is the best horseman that you've rode with and learnt off?
2: Oh, no, no other than Johnny Kelly.
0: Johnny Kelly, eh? It,
2: it, him and I were mates. We were, we were the best of mates. We competed together and we helped each other and we we, he said, "I got a plan." I was at a show down in New South Wales. He said, "I got a plan, Jay." I said, "Oh yeah, what's that?" He said, uh, we'll, "We'll stack our together and see if we can beat Bacon." It was a wet show and the ground was terrible. And anyway, uh, we got to the bar and we just had enough money to buy two rums. I said, "Well, I don't know about your plan, Jay, but I said that didn't work.
0: <laughs> just enough to buy two rums." <laughs> <laughs> so tell me because i never got to meet johnny kelly or if i did i was only a little boy but what could he do with a horse or what was his to meet deme- what was his ace
2: but well, he was he was just a natural like he he was him and sprat sutton were the clowns at sydney royal with the, the, the two roan ponies started off there for years and years he he, he just had so much Natural ability, he had more natural ability than you ever think of, of anybody that have. He was just a natural horseman, okay. and whether it was a jumping horse or a camp drafter or, you know, he was just a natural horse. Like, he won the Gentleman Rider in Sydney eight years running, and then I beat him. He said, I'm not riding anymore. He said, you can take over Well, I won it ten years running.
0: happy would bucket! you had the stranglehold we on that. Uh,
2: yeah we were just mates, you know we would we, we we you know we always ended up at the bar together and we were just just the greatest
0: mates yeah. yeah right. well, my grandpa they did an interview on him once, and he said that Johnny Kelly and Stumpy Timmins were the best two he ever rode with. So that, yeah, that yeah, name I, jo- I, Johnny I Kelly keeps coming up.
2: Yeah. Stumpy Timmins and Gwenny Winter, I remember when I was a kid they both rode at Gloucester rodeo. Stumpy rode she picked him up, and then Gwen Winter rode and he picked her up in the
0: in the buck jump. That'll be buggered.
2: And I was only
0: a kid. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now when you go and watch a show, what advice would you give the young horseman? What, what is something you see cropping up a lot that you may not like or disagree or whatever? What's something that advice you'd give the young bloke starting out?
2: Yeah, well, I, I help a young fella out here, at Woodford, the Matthew uh, Wally, and he, he's got some warm blood horses and I've been helping him the last couple of years and... Yeah, the thing is what what i've learned over the years you must have your horse very supple and flexible he uh, must be able to really flex and and be really supple come around your leg and be able to move away from your leg all, all goes back to all goes back to training on the flat never mind about the jumping that if you get your horse if you can train your horse on the flat and get him to train right, the jumping becomes easier hmm
0: yeah, right. So I
2: went I went to a clinic and Rod Brown was the Australian coach at the time and I had a wedding to go got there late. Anyway, he said, Oh, I'll give him a bit of flat work. We're riding back after lunch, before lunch and I said, Oh, you ever riding this old horse? Oh, he said, You wouldn't let me ride him. I said, You get on and have a ride him. He said, Well, I can't believe he said, I've watched this horse jump for years. He said, He's unbelievable. We all know that. He said he's the only horse that's won four World Cups in a row, one in Perth, two in West- two in Adelaide, and one in Melbourne. He said, I never, ever thought this horse was so push-button. He said, everything I've asked him to do, he said, he just done it so easy and so soft. He said, you must be able to train horses on the flat. I said, yeah, I did learn that technique. Hmm. <laughs> I couldn't get him off him. <laughs> is that I right? I believe it.
0: Yeah. Oh, you bug And if you could narrow it down, what do you think is the best thing you learn off your dad?
2: Um, just gen- general general horsemanship, like, you know, he taught me how to shoe. Uh, Ron Livermore was a sergeant of police um, mounted section in Sydney. He showed me how to do horse's teeth. Billy Billsborough taught me how to stomach tube horses. Dad was a natural horseman. He, he could castrate horses, spay cattle, do anything like that, and all those sort of things that that he taught me over the years. I think that's where I'd, I'd learned so much from him, and admired the way he went about everything he'd done. he done. He he was so positive in everything what he did, and that's where that's where I got my background from.
0: That's terrific, mate. Well, there's not many left like you, I can tell you, John. That's um. You know, we live in a world where you, you call a vet for this and you call the dentist for that and the farrier for that there and, um, yeah, it's uh, a lot of that stuff's getting pretty lost.
2: Oh, well, that's right. Yeah, well, see, see Dad was a good shoo. He taught me how to shoo me horses and this and that. And, uh, yeah, I, I met a fella uh, here a month ago, used to come from Mareeba. He said, your father, he said, he was up at Mariba Rodeo years ago. I said, yeah, one year I went up there and, I said, I had a, had a Bay Horse and Valentine pretty good camp drafters. I said, and I dropped mum and dad off in the caravan and his sister, and I went back down to Swale show. And this bloke said, he said, geez, that old man of yours, he knows how to shoe a horse. I said, yeah, he taught me, he's pretty handy. And uh, he said, yeah, and he doesn't know, he, he knows how to ride a bit till He said, he went out and won the bloody camp draft.
0: <laughs> no, that, that's.
2: Uh... So that was either 60s. I think it might have been 1967.
0: Yeah, right. You've got a bloody good memory, mate. Like, I don't know how you're rattling off all these years. (laughs) Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific, mate. So, you don't ride anymore? Um, Any goals left to do with the horses? Do you coach, mate? Do you do clinics? I'm
2: just just enjoying what I'm doing with my horse chiropractic and muscle work things. And, yeah, I, I, I was a guest speaker at the Australian Stock Horse Annual General. Meeting and dinner and anyway, people don't realise that I was one of the first. Well, I went to the first stock horse meeting ever held at Sydney Showground. Yeah, right. You see, Dad had two stallions at stud. There's only two of us left standing that went to that meeting, as Keith Jones and myself. Keith Jones was there, was he? Keith Jones was there, and and Ken Mackay, and what about Morris Stanton? Wright. Stando, uh, oh, heaps of them were there. There was thirteen of them, and I remember I, I, rem- I met um. I met um. Oh, I can't think, think his name. He was there, and I it, we between the two of us, we got the thirteen names. I wrote the thirteen names down and talked about all these stock horses and different breeding. How I was involved with my father and this and that. Anyway, they said, "When are you going to tell us about your show jumping?" I said, "Oh well." I can go on to that chapter now. So I went on to that chapter now and it was a smorgasbord and this lady came up and said, when are you going to stop talking? Because if you don't stop talking, you're not going to get anything to eat. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, i am knock me up a plate. <laughs> and a few of the old stock horse blokes come to me later and they said, Jesus, you've got a memory. We never knew that you did all this and never knew that you knew so much about the stock horses. I said, yeah, well, that, that's where I, I started off. Dad was a, uh, a classifier on the mid-north coast um, stock horse Association. He was the official brander. Put a lot of A's on horses, and yeah. So you know, I, I really enjoyed the, enjoyed a the few guest speaking I've done in my time. It's been really good. Done a couple for the racing, and yeah, yeah. So I don't mind doing that. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Well, I think you got a lot of uh, a lot of information to share. So I'm glad you're doing it, and I think you should do some more, mate, because. Uh, these stories and th- this is part of the reason why I do the podcast I hope one day that your uh, your grandkids or their kids turn on this and, and have a listen to what you've achieved in your life because it's, it's nothing short of remarkable and we won't live in those times again where people just had to be so versatile um, oh well, that's right completely
2: different completely different today
0: yeah. Yeah, no they, they'll never be as versatile again so uh, mate I thank you for your time John this has been bloody terrific mate we might even have to ring up and do a part two one day I reckon
2: <laughs> Righto, Scotty,
0: any time, mate. Mate, I loved it. Thanks very much, John. You guys have just heard from the master, so um, much appreciate your time, mate.
2: All the best, Scotty, and I think it's been a great opportunity to be able to sit down and do a bit of reminiscing and talk to you.
0: Awesome, mate. Loved it. Thank you very
2: much. All the best, Scotty. Cheers, mate.
1: Cheers, mate. mate. Bye. The Swapping Lies podcast with Scotty Keo. If you want to take your horsemanship to the next level with downloadable videos, equipment, merch and DVDs with proven results, visit skhorsemanship.com and find out why these sell in nine countries with Scott's clear, understandable methods with no gimmicks, just authentic horsemanship that will make your next ride a better one.